again, in the modern narrative, if that's your feeling of jealousy and you feel like monogamy can protect you from that, the unsaid rule is if I restrict my partner's access to other romantic relationships, I can protect myself from them realizing I'm not good enough. I mean, it speaks to how much you have to accept and learn to love yourself. Welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a sex, love, and relationship podcast where our focus is on your most important relationship, the one with yourself. Each episode, we are joined by an insightful guest who shares their story about how they've become their best, most radiant selves, despite diverse challenges. We dive into the depths of loving yourself, creating healthy relationships, and prioritizing pleasure, play, and joy, all while never shying away from the tough stuff. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. It is going to be a wild ride. Today, we are joined by my good friend, Wesley, who is a history buff, a writer, an enthusiastic debater, a very well-spoken man, and one who has spent many years practicing polyamory in his relationships. Today, we embark on the journey of discussing the topics and ideas put forth by the book More Than Two by Eve Rickert and Franklin Vaux. In this episode, we cover many of the themes and ideas from the first third of the book. At a later date, we're going to discuss the latter parts of the book, but for now, even our quick quips and very fast banter couldn't cover all that this book has to offer. There is so much to discuss, and most of it is not actually centered around polyamory, so please, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not polyamorous, nor will I, nor will I ever be polyamorous, and I don't understand it, or it doesn't interest me, or anything you're thinking, trust me. This book is a wonderful teacher of all people in relationships, regardless of their styles and choices. This is not an episode about polyamory. It's about how to cope with jealousy and how to communicate effectively and how we define commitment and how we define honesty and the nuances in people's interpretations of others' actions and so, so much more. We stated in the episode, but it's well worth repeating now, that our goal here is acceptance, acceptance for all with whatever choices people make in their relationships. The second goal is to choose consciously what is right for you and for the right reasons, for your reasons, not what society has told you or coerced you to choose. In this episode, we explore our relationship choices and how we make them, why we make them, and also a side benefit to help you determine where you are on the non-monogamous to monogamous spectrum, because there is a spectrum and your position on that spectrum may change or move around as you change and grow, but not necessary. If you know who you are, you know who you are. One last note before we begin is that the views expressed in the book More Than Two do not reflect those of mine or my guests. So are you ready for a very enthusiastic and energy-filled discussion on what it means to be in a relationship? Let's get into it. So welcome, everyone. Um, I'm here today with West. And I mean, West, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh my goodness, you're asking for a lot of trouble. Hello, I am Westley. I am gregarious and ebullient. I'm outspoken and loud. I'm very colorful. And everyone who knows me knows me. So yeah, I'm also polyamorous. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Yes. So I am coming on as the just entering into it, dipping my toes in the waters, I'm really interested in it. It seems to align with me a lot, even though like it kind of like 
you know, I'm like bumping and grazing up against it, especially with all the people that are entering my life as well. And then, yeah, Wes is here is my almost not expert. Cause I guess it's, it's such a new field and that's what they say, right. That there's like no experts in it, but that you have the knowledge of living through it for how many years now? That's a very difficult question to answer. So let's say four. Yeah. Right. As many as it feels right. Yes. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So um, today we wanted to walk through the book More Than Two by, mm-hmm. who's it by? It is by Franklin Vo and Eve Rickert. Mm, yes. So it is one of the first um, polyamorous Bibles, I would say. And it's a guide to, you know, ethical polyamory. And they use their own experiences to outline just so much good information. Like, I feel like I'm just going to say this a million times throughout this episode of just like, oh my God, there was so much good stuff in it. And I cannot get over just how every sentence is very impactful and you kind of need to stop and breathe. And like, like myself as a non-polyamorous person and like, oh, I'm good at communication. Like in the communication chapter, first line, you're not good at communication. (laughs) It is a fantastic book. And I suggest it to people who are monogamous, who are dedicated, strictly know they're monogamous, don't want to change. I say, you know what? Great. And that's one of the biggest points that I want to bring across is that polyamory isn't for everyone. And that's okay. Monogamy isn't for everyone. And that's okay. But this book, More Than Two, is great. Even if you know you're going to stay poly- monogamous the whole way through, if you know it isn't going to change your mind, and then it, even if it doesn't change your mind, it's still so great for just strategies on going through relationships. Now, I quickly also wanted to touch on one of the things that you said about how there's no experts in polyamory. Mm. And I would say that's because there's no experts in relationships because you can't really say, I'm an expert boyfriend. I mean, if you're doing it professionally, you're not really doing it right. You can be a coach and there could be an expert in that realm. But if you're in it, you can only ever see it from a first person perspective. Very true. Yeah. Then this is why we all need relationship coaches and coaches for everything we do. And even the biggest experts in the world need a coach because you need somebody with that exterior perspective on your life because you can never be subjective with your own relationship. It's called perspective blindness. Yeah. That's uh that that sounds correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have read the first half of the book. I have read the full thing a couple times because it is definitely one of those rereads go away, think about it, come back to it with other questions and new experiences. It's a very enlightening and illuminating read to go through. Very, very good. Enough gushing. For now, we'll gush again later. We will definitely gush again <laughs> later. Um, did you want to start off with any questions you had for me specifically? Something nagging at you? Um, no, but I figured we could just kind of go through chapter by chapter. Um, likely this will be a much larger discussion than, you know, however long we're able to talk for until we get a little bit exhausted. Um, probably somewhere around the hour mark is usually when I'm like, oh my gosh, that's enough talking. We'll do part two. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do a part two. So like, I kind of wanted to start like where the book starts, right? Which is like, are you polyamorous? Starting the journey. Right. Yeah. And like, and again, like it's, It doesn't matter if you're polyamorous or monogamous. I think what matters is that you thought about it and you know, and you're doing it intentionally. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think so much of us are just doing monogamous from an unintentional, like, this is just what I was taught and this is what everyone else does. And this is what society is doing. And that's where you might run into issues because you're kind of like, oh, pushing it down. I agree that it is definitely cultural. Uh, There's a lot of historical backstory to this, but it is a very Western idea that you can only love one person 
And it isn't ever really explicitly stated, but there is definitely a script. And we get a lot of it from, or rather it is codified a lot in rom-coms, but boy meets girl, they fall in love, they split up for a little bit, they get back together. And then there's the happily ever after, which implies moving in together, getting married, the relationship escalator, yeah. such a good Exactly. Term. There yes. are these beats that you hit. And one of the things that was in the book uh, that will be discussed in the later parts is how it talks about you don't choose your relationships. And that is a very that is a very almost deified perspective of it because the relationships happen naturally, whether you want to or not, and you cannot put any cognitive thought into it. You have to work on it once you're in it, but you cannot choose your relationship any more than you can choose what flavor of ice cream you like. Right. And like people will get into that trouble a lot. And I, I think I have, I definitely have, you know, let's not even say like, I definitely have where I'm like, this is what I want in a partner. And I want this and this and this, and this would be nice. And this would be nice. And then you just have this checklist that you fulfilled, but like, do you, are you actually compatible with this person? Like, yeah, you can't, you can't just fulfill all your needs and all this checklist on a person. They're a person. Like they're just, they're going to change and grow and you're going to change and grow. And hopefully you can, you know, help each other through that. Um, but the idea of like the relationship escalator and like, that's what it was called of like, okay, we're going up this and like, this is the next step in the relationship. And this is the next step where that really can like, oh, restrict you and make you feel mm. awful is when you go seemingly, seemingly of what society tells you is backwards, right? Like for example, you move in with your partner and all of a sudden that's not working and moving out is this like feeling of failure and feeling of, oh my gosh, we failed at this. We're just like, no, not at all. But like, that's what we're taught to believe. Yes. And I don't want to name any religions specifically, but there is this old world belief that once you married a person, you literally became one soul. So when you went, when you really, when you reached whatever the afterlife was, you reached there as a one unified thing. That was one of the things that the marriage ceremony did was it bound you body and soul. It's a very interesting theological discussion to be had, but so few people know that nowadays, and they don't really understand how much that has informed our understanding of the way a relationship should happen. And if there's one piece of advice that I could get, give you walking away today is that you need to neglect the word should. You yes. cannot should a relationship. You cannot should yourself, and you maybe can't should others. Yes. Stop shooting yourself. <laughs> I say this all I, the time. <laughs> I shoot myself in public once. It was a bad scene. Right. No shooting yourself. Um, and also no shooting yourself probably because that wouldn't go well, but no, 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 no. Also been there, but uh, <laughs> no, probably not. I Different can't podcast. Anyway. Can't yeah. Anyways. Yeah. No, it's, you can get caught up in the shoulds and you can get caught up in just, yeah. What everybody else expects of you. And like the next major life event that like, you know, you can, let's say you post something on social media and it's like, oh yeah, something big happened today. And people just assume that if you live with your partner and something with your partner, they're like, mm, they're getting married. Like, mm -hmm. it's just this, every, it's just this assumption. And if it's not that people are disappointed in you and people think there's something wrong with you. Right. And it's like, oh, you're not going to do that. Like, it's just, especially women. <laughs> My God, I don't want to get too much into the patriarchy today, but holy smokes, women are definitely the ones who are like looked at when they're not on the relationship escalator. It's like, well, I mean, you know, honey, you're getting on in years. It's like, oh, wow. 
Well, but our biological clock, clock pays so much into that, right? Like you can't ignore the fact that all of us know that if we want to have a baby, we have a time limit. And if we want it to be our biological baby, obviously there's so many ways to do it and science is moving it forward and everything, but there's ultimately still a clock in which you can do it safely. And that is just so ingrained into our brains and motherhood is so ingrained into our phys- like everything about us is literally designed so that we can have a baby. And that is not something to discount because like that is just such a fact of life that women have to live with. But I do among many, among many, (laughs) but I do want to go back and touch on the whole, like one soul marriage thing, not from like a religious perspective, but also the whole, like marriage was a contractual obligation and it was made so that one person would then own the other. Right. And so it was was. right. And like women couldn't have, what was it? Credit cards. We couldn't have our own credit card up until like the fifties or sixties. Like it's super, super recent that we've been able to make our own choices and like move in the direction we want to. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. And that's why so much of this stuff is new and nobody's thought of it before. And it's like this, yeah. Anyways, it uh, sheds a lot of light. It does shed a lot of light, Um, especially with first, second and third wave feminism that has kind of, kind of, that has, very much helped polyamory become something that is welcome into the social zeitgeist because um, without women's liberation, it would have just been, it would have been only the gay men community who is engaging in polyamory because if women can't participate, that really narrows your dating pool. <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit, you know? <laughs> like I love my friends, but eh, not like yeah, that. Yeah, not like that. Yeah. So yeah, there is a lot of, cultural expectation that goes with this argument and that again it's not to say that monogamy is wrong no i was listening to a debate actually about this exact topic between monogamous people and polyamorous people and the one of the questions that was at the first question that was asked to both groups to see what their argument would be is is poly the question was is polyamory not the natural state of human connection Hmm. and you can't really argue whether or not something is a natural state anymore because we have transcended nature so much. And there are some people who will say that, you know, bonobos, for example, they're a very polyamorous animal. And yes, they are. And they're also more closely related to us in terms of DNA, even closer than chimpanzees, in fact. Mm. But they're still different by a wide margin. They don't have water slides. <laughs> That's where I draw the line. That's where we draw the line. So... Whereas you can argue that there are certain parts of our nature that inform and affect us still to this day, it is kind of facile and just low thought argument to say that this is the way things happen in nature and therefore this is the way humans have to behave now. So there is no, there is no, it is our inherent nature to do so and therefore we should. Yes. And I think we also might get into the trap of the, like, again, the shoulds and that you can go too far in that. Like, we don't want polyamory to become the new veganism, right? <laughs> which you're also <laughs> vegan, which is, that's why this is hilarious. But like, that it's this thing that people are like pushing on each other because it's like, it's what you should do and it's the best thing and there's no other alternative. No, no. It's just one option that you can take to live your life this way if it works for you, if it aligns with your values, if it feels good for you, and if it, yeah, allows you to meet all your needs without hurting anyone else. And that kind of swings into one of the most important axioms that this book talks about, and that says the people in a relationship are more important than the relationship, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful 
because a lot of the time, even in monogamous relationships, when you talk about, oh, the marriage is suffering. Well, the people in it should be more, oh, should I say the word should? People in it (laughs) are more important than the relationship. Yes. This one hit me really hard. This one, like, it just struck me straight to the heart because it's it's just the language that's used in the book that like all of it, when you hear it, it's so obvious because it's been like in your being the whole time, but you just didn't have the language to express it or to like put it into terms that you can then have a discussion around it. And that was one of the things that like, obviously we know that, but do we, right? Because we use the language. We use language that says, oh, the, yeah, the relationship, the marriage is, is if it's this like living, breathing thing, which it is, right? The other analogy that I really loved was that your relationship is a garden, not a blueprint of a building, right? It's not something you build brick by brick and say, okay, this is our house together. And this is our children together. And this is our marriage. And this is our, right. And then like, all of a sudden you have this thing that you're like really upset at the thought of destroying or taking a brick out. But in reality, you're just two people who are kind of nurturing a garden where, you know, it's sometimes you need extra sunlight here, extra soil or the different conditions each year. And, oh, now it's winter. So things get a little frosty, you know, like, and there's different, you know, strategies you need to use to keep your plants alive. Like it's such a, such a good metaphor. Very good metaphor. The, The garden of a relationship. I really liked it. And another thing, another reason that the human beings pitfall into that thing of the blueprint is because humans love stability. We love the idea that once something becomes something, it doesn't change, except for growth. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of things that is true and a lot of things that is a good way to look at it, but you have to also know that growth is change and change is going to happen and change is okay. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, like it's, it's the natural order of everything, right? The only constant is change and yeah, you're either going to be willing to grow with the person or you're not right. And they're going to change and grow and you're going to change and grow with them. And yeah, just the idea of letting them do that. And then like, just really letting go of the expectations or holding on to anyone, like don't, don't try to hold on to them, right? Like don't coerce them into staying with you. And oh man, like we're jumping a little bit ahead there and maybe this is how this is going to go. But like the coercion piece Mm -hmm. to the communication, which like all of us definitely do from an unconscious, unconscious way. Yeah. An unconscious way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that one hit me hard too. (laughs) Very much so. Um, Just especially when it comes to the change argument later on, they say, how often have we heard? I don't even know who you are anymore. And the a way to rephrase that is I thought you'd never change. Mm-hmm. And when you phrase it like that, you, you can't help but to think, Oh my gosh, you're right. That is a sneakily toxic way of thinking about things. Yeah, actually that's just bringing up a memory for me right now. Um, not, not for me, <laughs> not for me, but for um, Matthew, McCona- Matthew McConaughey's book, green lights, right. which fantastic, especially in audiobook form, just because Matthew's talking to you and you just get to hmm, have him in your ears for a while. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just got a sexy voice. Let's, oh, all, yeah. let's all admit that. But he had this moment with his, and like his book is almost like poetry in some ways, right? Like he's giving you all this advice and all these things that he's learned in his life. And it's just like a brilliant story, but it is very like poetic, especially even the way he speaks, he has like a, a rhythm to his voice. And so sometimes I think he takes away content to give you a good sentence and a good poetic verse. As good poets must. As good poets must. Um, but in this case, I think it actually very much drew away from that, or maybe it's what actually happened, but his wife his soon-to-be wife, I don't know, they were in a relationship, everything was looking good and looking, or just looking very serious, looking like it would be a long-term thing. And he's like, what would I have to do to lose you? 
And she said, change. Right. And now I'm like, oh, actually, that's not good. Because at the time, I'm like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, don't change. Like, I know that what was probably meant was, the again, there, yeah. giving it the best possible intention, like, like seeing things in the best possible light. Likely, yeah, again, the concept from the book, but like, likely that she's saying, you know, don't be, I don't know, a dick or like, I'm going to like you no matter what, I guess, like, hopefully, but ugh, it doesn't sit right anymore. It, yeah, it does reframe a couple of the things that you've come to expect from the world mm-hmm. as we've known it already. Yeah. So I would love to get into back into the actual book itself and instead of my own inter- in interpretation of it. So at the end of each and every chapter, this is one of the best parts of this book. It will have questions. It says questions to ask yourself. Within a certain context. Within the context of what was in the chapter. chapter, And the very first chapter is beginning the journey. And so I'm just, I'd love to go through these questions right now and just have my perspective, your perspective. And some of them are, they're just going to be a skin. Yeah. But that's okay. So the first question, and I love that this is the first question because it is the most important one. Have I ever felt romantic love for more than one person at the same time? Yes. Also, yes, obviously. Yeah. And if your answer is no, I want you, dear listener, to know that's okay. Totally okay. You don't need to be, Polly. Like, holy smokes. No. Uh, If anything, I'm hoping, I'm asking for more acceptance today than converts. Absolutely. No, (laughs) just acceptance and like awareness around it. Mm -hmm. And like, if three people go on vacation a lot together, let them do their thing. They're not hurting you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Second question. Do I feel there can be only one true love or one real soulmate? No. I say there can be. There can be. Yeah. But yeah, this is the word can really um, frames this one as it's possible. And I think anything is possible. Yeah. I'm of the mind that, I mean, romantically in my heart, right. I'm like, I'm such a fucking romantic, you know, it's just, oh, it's, it's in me. And I'd like to believe it. And there's definitely, but I think we all have multiple soulmates. I think that's the way I'd put it. And there's even argument for like your best friends or your soulmates Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who like really know you and grow with you. Um, And sometimes romantic relationships, there's just too much standing in the way. Soulmate is a lot of responsibility, (laughs) especially when like you're my soulmate. And that, and again, with that whole thing of the social prescriptive nature of the relationship escalator, it means these things have to occur. You don't even have to be saying that, but as soon as you, as soon as you even acknowledge yourself, this person's my soulmate. The idea of losing them is so scary. Right? Like that is too much responsibility for one person. It is. I love one of the concepts that I've heard is one plus one equals three. And this is, again, going back to the concept of garden. One complete person plus one complete person creates a third thing. And that is the relationship. Mm. And this is one of the ways to avoid codependent relationships or outright dependent relationships. But And I'm not saying that you have to be a complete person in yourself because that requires so much time and effort and exploration in life and experience. And some people don't get there and that's also okay, but. Yeah. You don't have to do that first. You can do that while being in the relationship. You can do that while living. Life is a journey. Life is a process. Oh, also another lovely, lovely metaphor that I just latched onto as being like brilliant is like, there's no destination. Again, we Mm, all know this, but like that, like your relationship pictured as the horizon, you're always walking towards it. There's never this destination. There's never this house on the other side of the horizon that you're trying to reach. Cause if there is, it's death. Exactly. (laughs) Not to get literally morbid, but come on. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, Oh yeah. 
So being a complete person, being happy with yourself is this is aside from the book entirely. This is just like, that's good advice. <laughs> yes. Actually, the other thing I wanted to mention is like picturing the relationship as this third entity can be so powerful in terms of like really disassociating and don't like really disassociate with it. But like, <laughs> right? You can't spell disassociate without disass. So keep going. <laughs> yeah, disass. But like keeping it exterior to you in the way that you might a business, for example, that like, it's this thing that you're nurturing and you're growing, but it doesn't directly impact you in that way. Right. That like, if you take it away, you're nothing less, you're still, you You still like, you're still That's everything beautiful. amazing about you. But right. And like, it's, it's like these little, little strings that attach into all these little balls around you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't use the word balls, but you know what? It, yeah. Like it's, it's exterior to you. And then that takes away, I'm looking for the word, like, Value, worth. It it takes away its power over you. Essentially. Oh, I see. It's, if, it's influence. You, yes, it's influence, yeah. and that if you lose it, you don't lose you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Identifying with a relationship specifically is a very precarious place to put yourself because if you identify as the relationship, you are in a perfect position to start sacrificing things that would have otherwise been parts of your personality just to keep the relationship, and this can lead into very toxic, abusive situations, which are very, very not fun. Oh, yeah. So maintaining personal identity and being completeness in oneself is the most important thing you can do for you. Mm -hmm, absolutely. absolutely. Way harder said than done. We oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. All of us were like, oh, yeah, do this, do this. Just as long as neither you have of that us, under your belt. Yeah. Neither <laughs> of us, or at least I'm going to speak for myself. I don't got this down. I really don't. I was reading through this being like, oh my God, I have so many, per so much personal work to do, but it's so nice. I find I go through like waves of like, oh my gosh, I'm doing so good. And I feel like I great. And I don't have to work on that many things. And then like, you just discover new shit and you're like, oh my God, I have so much to work on. And it can feel a little overwhelming at first. And then it feels great. And then you learn it and then you grow and it's wonderful. But like, I don't got this down. You know what I would love to do is those moments of feeling like, you know what? I don't got this. Instead of taking it as a negative, take it as a moment of humiliation. Mm. And let me explain because the word humiliation is far too often in these days in business day and age conflated with embarrassment, humiliation, break it down. The first word humil as in humility, humiliation just means being shown humility. And even if it's you doing it to yourself, allowing yourself to be humiliated without being embarrassed, without being attached to the ego of what the, the things that you should be or the, the things that you're owed or deserve in life. I humiliate myself all the time. That's just because I'm very clumsy. But also, I just, I allow myself that moment to take a step back and bow to people. Just like, yes, you know what? I don't know everything. Everyone's my teacher. Mm -hmm. And another way to put that would be humble. Uh, no? Okay. no, no, yes, yes, absolutely. I was like, right. I feel like this is in, in my way, I would describe it as humble. Being and humbled, it, yeah. Yeah, being humbled. Being humbled, being humiliated. Humbled or being humbled has much less a negative connotation than being humiliated because humiliated, even when I say it, it sounds almost as if someone is doing it perniciously towards mm. me, you know? So let's yeah. say humbled. I like humbled a lot more. The third question. <laughs> that <laughs> third was a long question, too. <laughs> on the first chapter about there's about 10 in every chapter we got about 100 of these to go but well we got through it <laughs> it's only been 40 minutes oh, yeah. all right so how important is my desire for multiple romantic relationships excellent question mm -hmm. because how important is the key bit there how important is my desire for multiple romantic relationships if i mean that is also going to fluctuate throughout the entire thing i mean if my partner has a relationship i should not feel pressure to get one too 
Yes. And that's like, to me, it's the why is so much more important than the, I want this, right? Like I, you know, let's say for example, I am not getting everything I need sexually from my partner. Like I have more needs than they can provide. Okay. So that is why you need, or that is identified as a need for you that you need this thing that isn't part of your relationship. And as long as there's consent, then you can then go out and seek that exterior to your relationship. But then your partner says, oh, but I want to do that too. But the why is so important there because if they're doing it just because they want it too, because you're doing it, I don't think that's right. But it is fair. There's an equity in there. There's an equalness. Like there's so many different. Absolutely. Tangly thorns to it. It, it, (laughs) Tangly thorns. Yes. Human beings are the most complicated things we know of. We across the board, our brain is the most complicated, complex things we know of. So having two people in a relationship is one of the most complex connections you can make. And then to be like, oh, we're going to allow for multiple relationships and connections. It is an extremely complex thing. That being said, we have evolved to create and form these connections. So it's not like we're entering into the fight without a a sword. Yes. And it is so much harder. There's going to be so much more emotion, so much more possibility for heartbreak. There's going to be just so many more moving parts, but that will make like it's high risk, high reward. That's what I'm trying to Absolutely. say. Absolutely. If you yes. want pure comfort, yeah. become a hermit. And and that's, that's cool, right? Like if you have identified that in your life, you want to stay in this comfortable zone. Okay. Like you might not grow as much. You might not learn as much. That's okay. If that's what floats your boat. All right. But there's a possibility here to do other things and more things and mm-hmm. possibility for growth. And damn, it is scary, but it's so worth it. This was life. I know, right? Well, life is terrifying. (sighs) So multiple romantic relationships is a difficult one to, it's a difficult one to square because at first, when you're talking with someone who isn't as open to poly, the idea of some of your romantic partner having another romantic relationship, it's easy to be like, wait, I thought this was only going to be like a sexual fling that you were going to be exploring. I didn't think it was going to be a full on romantic thing because for a lot of people, the idea of someone developing a whole romance with another is almost more threatening than you having an affair. Definitely more threatening because like emotional infidelity to people is much scarier, right? Because that like, yeah, emotions are, are something that yeah, sex is just sex. Like people do sex without our hearts being involved all Sometimes the time. Sometimes <laughs> they do it alone. Damn it. <laughs> exactly. Which arguably uses the most amount of heart. Excellent. So that also, they also have a great little thing where they do quotes at the beginning of every chapter. And I feel like there's one quote in here from Nelson Mandela, which should have been at the beginning of every chapter because it says, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Yes. Ah, I love oh, that so, so much. Yes. I think I, I definitely got to that point because it was just, I was like, oh yes. Okay. I need to write this down. Literally every sentence of this book, like, okay, I need to go write this down now. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So in terms of the question, do I feel the need for multiple romantic relationships? Desire. Desire. Desire and need are very different because the desire is, is easy because desire is what you want, mm-hmm. right? If you feel a need for multiple romantic relationships, that could be full on a sex addiction. True. Yes. And that is another episode is I speak to a sex and love addict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh boy, sometimes I'm like, mm, I masturbated far too many times today. Maybe I'm addicted to that. <laughs> Who knows? Worst things have happened. Worst things have happened. But the desire for multiple romantic relationships and one that doesn't even really pause it because this book does make a really kind of a clear line between 
polyamory for sex and polyamory for romantic connection. Mm -hmm. And while it definitely wants to downplay the polyamory for sex aspect, because that is kind of one of the stigmas about the polyamorous community. Mm -hmm. And I can completely understand why they wanted to downplay that, or at least not bring up as much, but polyamory for sex and polyamory for romantic relationships should also should be independently discussed, even though they're inextricably linked. Yes. Because one of the things that I was, when I was, you know, thinking about notes and writing down things, I was writing the risks or the challenges, the struggles, things that you're going to deal with, things that are okay to deal with. And then I thought to myself, well, I also want to write down the joys. Mm -hmm. And I pretty quickly came up, what was the first joy that I could think of? And that was, oh yeah, sex with people that I really, really like being around and not having to have the threat of losing an important relationship to me mm-hmm. because of them. Right. You can, you can fulfill those desires. And often I find um, in the few experiences I've had is like the connection with your partner can deepen as a result of you going and like exploring those desires. And also if it's like a situation where, and obviously you can't choose this, right? Like if you're going to fall in love with them, you're going to fall in love with them. But if you really do limit your own access because your intention is not to go falling in love with other people, because you do want to stay kind of like, you know, there's a whole bunch of types of like monogamy within polyamory in terms of like, there's, there's fluid monogamy, for example, Mm -hmm. there's like, right. Like you can do anything. That's like, this is what we want to keep between us only. And I find that you can just have such a good connection afterwards because you just got to experience that. You get to see the love and joy in your partner's eyes. And like, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, uh, Not at all. What, please. What was your reflection? <laughs> so the first and most anticipated joy of being allowed the freedom to have sex with more than people than just one. That's what is allowed you through polyamory. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to want that. Yeah. It's good. It's not, of course, the only reason like it's, I also kind of want to address the idea of it's just sanctioned cheating and yeah, no, because cheating is a very specific betrayal of the way of a relationship is supposed to go. Like, even though in a poly relationship, I can still cheat because there are things that I would, that if I did them, it would definitely hurt my partner's feelings. It would, it would feel like a betrayal of her. And that's not okay with me. That's, That's still cheating. And that's not the realm that I want to go through. The betrayal of trust. Exactly. Yes. Cheating is not the sex. Cheating is not whatever act it was. It was the betrayal of trust. And so you get to set your own relationship rules, boundaries, and framework. Absolutely. Uh, the book does a lot of work talking about rules. And that is a whole other mess of things because when the book is talking about rules, it basically says rules are bad, which is. I know immediately you're thinking like, hold on. No, they're not. And even now I have a polyamorous relationship and there are rules in it. Hmm. But the perspective that the book is coming from is, let's say, for example, I was entering into a relationship, even a monogamous relationship. Every monogamous monogamous relationship has rules inherent and implicit, but never really articulated. Because it's a monogamous relationship, you won't sleep with other people is one of the rules inherent, right? But if you were talking them out and you came to them and then you said, oh, by the way, uh, I think it'd be a good rule that you are not going to hunt polar bears. The idea is like, well, obviously you don't really need, why would you even need to put that rule in there? So for polyamory, when, okay, don't be a dick, don't hurt my feelings, don't be unsafe. It's like, well, yeah, but are you with a person you're afraid would do that? 
if you think there are no rules, are they immediately going to like go buck wild and run naked through the streets? Like, no. Which also their body is their own. And if they want to run naked, they get to. Um, (laughs) You cannot set limitations on the other person's body and what they're allowed to do with their body. You absolutely cannot. Yeah. Cause I think that's where it gets into rules is like, there's so many, right. There's a difference between boundaries and, and expressing that like, this is a place where I'm uncomfortable with, but I think of the way the book handles it and talking about like, okay, you feel uncomfortable, explore that uncomfortableness, stretch that uncomfortableness. And that's where you're going to encounter the most growth. And that like, sometimes rules are just placed there to say, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't want to explore this. And that's fair because we're all allowed our own level of comfort, right? Like this, this is where you're comfortable and you want this level of comfort, right? You don't want to just go balls to the wall. Like, let's go crazy and let's see what happens. I get that. And there's also steps, right? There's like, this is how far we're going right now. And this is, this is what we're going to try right now, right? Like these are the places we're going to explore first. But I do think that, yeah, they're, they're approaching it from like a, don't be unreasonable and don't set rules and limitations on the other person. You have to talk about it from your need that you're expressing and allow them the chance to answer your need in their way. Mm-hmm. That being said, we do still have rules. Yes. Some of the rules, like, for example, um, if my partner had a paramour, one of the rules is don't see your paramour more than once or twice within reason a week. And that is strictly to protect my time with her. That doesn't really seem unreasonable. Another rule is, of course, has to do with safety and testing and protection and all those things, which are kind of just no-brainers. But again, needs to be stated. And like obviously there's a huge amount of communication stuff happening in the book and, you know, like explicit communication, you know, like even if you assume it, don't assume it, just say it, just say it because the person might misinterpret it. Mm -hmm. And like, just Mm -hmm. if there's anything like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking this and that's obvious in your head, just say it out loud, just do it. It's going to be two seconds of your time and it could save you so much heartbreak. Oh my God. Yes. If people just (laughs) were just honest, but then yeah, it even talks about honesty and like, honesty doesn't actually mean the same thing to everybody, right? Because it's still based on your own perceptions. And like, it's so easy to be like, oh, of course I was honest. Like I, like I didn't tell you a lie, but it was because you didn't tell the person a thing. Oh, the, the lie of omission. The lie of omission. Everyone's the hero in their own story. Lie of omission, it's a very tricky one because if you're lying to yourself, it's extremely difficult to even recognize it. Hmm. Absolutely. And it's the lying to yourself part. And it's like, oh, oh, one of the best lines in it. And is this from this book? I don't even know at this point. This is just all the stuff in my head right now. Everybody has baggage. It's just your job to know what's in the suitcase. Mm -hmm. I love that. Just like, okay, yeah, you're going to have shit. Everybody's got shit, but you got to know what your shit is and you got to own it, which again, so much harder said than done. Oh my God. Yeah you're going to forever find out your shit and what's in your suitcase. And this is just going to keep coming up as you like, again, it's not a destination. It's not like one day you're going to wake up and be like, I am a complete human. Nope. You're going to keep learning till the day you die. Pretty much. Unless you achieve enlightenment and, you know, best of luck with that. That'd be great. I don't think you're going to be a polyamorous person if you're like, you know, going for enlightenment, but no, you're going to be celibate. Yeah. Most likely. <laughs> Unless you find some like sex magic that allows you to be enlightened, which like also happens. I mean, like I've reached God with an orgasm, but like it doesn't happen that often right now. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> I see God every time. Anyway, so let's go back to jealousy because it is obviously one of the most important things that like 
anyone is going to ask about polyamory. You're polyamorous. How do you deal with jealousy? And it is a super fair question. How to cope with jealousy? And I say cope specifically because for the sake of this discussion right now, I'm going to say that it isn't possible to avoid or not feel. And you have to accept that. If you truly can live your life without, then congrats, your Nobel Prize is in the mail. For everyone else, let's go. Because I feel jealousy too. Mm -hmm. Uh, My approach is, of course, to accept the feeling of jealousy firstly. Mm -hmm. You will achieve no growth ever if you only attempt to deny it. You'll feel jealousy and that's okay. It's natural and healthy if you are dealing with it honestly. Honesty and acceptance are how I get through it. Yes, I'm jealous, I say to myself. And once I do, I have this grand power through the clarity of acknowledgement. It's helpful and important not to deny your own feelings, even if they aren't the most flattering feelings or the most comfortable feelings. For mostly, I have found that jealousy is best understood by its original context, wanting to protect that which is your own. That's what it meant for so long. Now it's closer to what we would call envy when it's spoken of, but it also isn't exactly divorced from its original definition. So it has become this sort of chimera of what we associate with the worst traits of opinions to have in a relationship. And it is by far the most well-accepted and ill-defined monster of any relationship. It occurs all the time in monogamous relationships, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, in my opinion, maybe lesser reasons (laughs) that it's like, they looked at someone and it's like, okay, Okay, let's let's reevaluate this mm-hmm. and how much you should control your partner. But anyway. And that it that word control, it does come back to it wanting to protect something you own. And not necessarily the partner, but perhaps the relationship. You do get yes. a sense of entitlement and ownership over a relationship, and that's where jealousy comes in. Something you're owed. Yes. Something to avoid. Yes. And it's like, I'm owed this because I'm the first partner or just because I'm their partner or yeah. Yeah. So dangerous. But I think knowing that it's a part of anyone's psyche in in regards to relationships with others is the first step to dealing with and coping with jealousy. It's an emotion and emotions are like the weather and you should observe them and you should yeah, you should, you should observe them and you should, you know, think about what they're trying to tell you and then kind of try to let them go. And again, so much harder said than done. I know. Absolutely. One of the best things that I try to do is repeat the following mantra. I don't control them. I can't control them. And crucially, I wouldn't if I could. Because mm. that's not a relationship. I don't control them. I can't control them. And I wouldn't if I could. If I was given the opportunity, I would not accept that responsibility. Right. And it's, it's so crucial to try to retrain your brain, to look at it as this beautiful part of your life right now and to not try to hold on to it, right. That it's there. And if it's serving you, if it's making your life better, if it's bringing in more love and more support and more joy, and that's amazing. And if one, if it stops doing those things, maybe it's time to, (laughs) to not have that relationship in your life anymore, but that it is, it's not something that you're just going to hold on to and squeeze harder and harder because the harder you squeeze, the more you're going to fear that you're going to lose it. And then you're just going to not have fun in it because you're going to be so afraid that you're going to lose it and you're going to lose it anyways. Mm-hmm. Like either by, and again, it's like straight out of the book, but like either by the fact that you're going to, you know, eventually die or the fact that 
people break up, like even the best of relationships, like there's people break up and, and you might as well enjoy it now while you have it and not be afraid of losing it. Yes, that is a very existential perspective. And I love that. Yeah, I that one was a that. lot. It was I know, a it's great. Like, oh, that was a lot. Okay, let's dial that back. But like, it, it's a lot to be like, you're going to lose it anyway. So like, but sometimes that's what it takes is like the big smack above the head to be like, there's a time limit on this, no matter what. So use your time well. Again, too much of a no, no. On, on today's episode of Reclaiming Your Radiance, we're, re- we're reviewing the Bhagavad Gita. I Fantastic. Mean, right, but it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's like, it's this disattachment, right? Like anything you're attached to, anything you're afraid of losing is going to become like a little bit of a dark hole. And so like being able to just kind of separate yourself from it and being like, they're going to do what they're going to do. And this is going to be what it's going to be. And I can do my best. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Jealous or not, this person is choosing to be with me. And that, I mean, whether I'm jealous or not, I'm not going to change the outcome here. And the choice is so important to me. Like, oh my gosh, I went in my, my first love. We, not my first boyfriend, but my first love, different, different things. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, we, we did one of those like stupid, like lock things, right? Like oh, yeah. put a lock on a bridge and we did it back in my hometown and we, we kept the keys. I wanted to keep the keys. I put them on necklaces and I gave one to him and I had one for me and people were like, what? You're supposed to throw that in the river. And I was like, yeah, but then it wouldn't be a choice to me. Every single day I wear that key as a choice. Like I can go unlock that lock if I want to. And it's like, it's very symbolic to me of like, I can go take off that relationship and throw the relationship in the river. And it's my choice. I didn't just throw much. It's right. It's that's why sometimes marriage kind of feels like it takes that away. Obviously you can still get divorced, but that's messy and expensive. But like, thank you, Henry. <laughs> what? Henry the eighth. Then like continue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, except for, for context, except for all of the, um, you know, chopping up your wife's heads. But... Only two. <laughs> I mean, Wait, what do you mean only? Wow. That was, yeah, that's, wow. That's a lot. Chopping off heads. Two out of six in a is terrible. Lifetime. It's twice the amount of years that you decided. Yeah, you're gonna die now. Where was I? <laughs> um, you're talking about the the key and the lock, and uh, I thought that, thought that was gonna go very differently. Yeah, no, I just I thought, and like this was me when I was like 19. I was like, no, I want this to be a choice every single day. I want it to be a conscious choice, and I think that is the best way to look at it. Is like every single day you are choosing to be with them. And it's not an obligation. The second it becomes an obligation, it becomes this thing that like you can't get away from. And then there's like all this other stuff that gets into it. That's such a progressive and enlightened view. I love that. Thanks. It's 19 year old Chris. She had a couple of good ones. Is the lock still there? I think so. I, didn't, oh. I don't think I ever removed it because I mean, I still love him. Right? Mm-hmm, I still love every person I've ever been with and plenty of people I've never been with. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's still there. Wonderful. Question four. <laughs> <laughs> On chapter one. Ah. Oh, actually, sorry. I did yeah. want to go to something about jealousy. There will so be there will be so much more on jealousy, but, um, and not just in these episodes, but there was something that my friend recently told me and he will also be on the podcast because he is such a good, like he's polyamorous as well. And he's got like just such a good handle on it because he's dealt with it so much, but he's like really had to work through it. And he told me that there was three different forms of jealousy and they are one- that you have a fear of missing out, right? So they're doing something without you. Two is fear of being replaced. And three is fear you're not good enough. And generally most jealous feelings can fall into one of those three categories. And I think that's such a good starting point of like identify which one it is. And then it's like, okay, now I can tackle this. I love it. For me, 
those kind of feel like three categories, mm. each of which contains a list of things beneath it that mask itself. But at, at its core, it boils down to one of those three. And sometimes you can have a connect, a combination of the two. For example, like, um, you know, I'm not good enough and my partner is going to leave me because I'm not good enough. Yes. Absolutely. And again, in the modern narrative, if that's your feeling of jealousy and you feel like monogamy can protect you from that, the unsaid rule is I can, if I restrict my partner's access to other multi, other romantic relationships, I can protect myself from them realizing I'm not good enough. I mean, it speaks to how much you have to accept and learn to love yourself. Goodness. Holla, topic of the podcast. Right? Like, <laughs> it always smokes. comes back to self-love. <laughs> yes, as it should. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's that whole, like, you're a whole person and your relationship is a separate entity that, like, yeah. No, it's... Uh, if you don't like, again, very difficult to do. And yeah. I'm not an expert at that. And I definitely intertwine a whole bunch of my relationships. And like, that's definitely some conditioning from childhood and from friggin' Disney movies, guys. Like what? <laughs> yeah. And okay. Actually, I just had a thought about the whole relationship escalator, not to go too far in the backward, in the backwards direction. Okay, good. Because I was just going to critique Disney movies for the next 20 minutes, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> you know, you have a point. So yeah. <laughs> but, but there is so much of like the flirting and the, the beginning jitters and the, this, and there's so much emphasis put on the beginning of a relationship that we have become obsessed with everything leading up to the first kiss and everything leading up to that first moment, everything leading up to getting married. And there is nothing, no popular culture, almost nothing. There's a couple of things, you know, marriage it's story. Better. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. Just like representation and LGBTQ stuff. It's getting better. But man, do we need more stories about what happens after marriage mm -hmm. and after you fall in love and after you finally achieve, uh, not achieve, after you finally kiss the girl, you know? Yes. Yeah. Oh man, Disney was so bad about this because- They're getting better. They, they are getting better. better. But I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, especially kiss the girl. From uh, the Little Mermaid. Yeah, the damage is like, already done. <laughs> oh, oh God! It's like so, honey. Uh, what? If, you're a king, right? Actually, I am now. Yes. What does your kingdom do? Mostly, we're a fishing society. Oh dear. <sighs> okay. Or have Belle marry the Beast and be French aristocracy ten years before the French Revolution? Like what? Come on, guys. Yes, but that's speaking from a history buff. Like I, I know. don't know that. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm fine. I'm ignorant <laughs> of history. Everything's great. Um, yeah. So the questions. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I love that this next question is a three-parter. Thank you so much, book. What do I want from my romantic life? That's right. Whole, that's your entire podcast. My trust. That's it. That's the entire episode. That's everything. What do you want from your romantic relationship? Okay. Short answer. Fulfillment. I like it. I feel like everybody should go journal about this for a while, but I would say support, love, joy, and to feel less alone. Because mm -hmm. I think that that one's really big for me is like the world is so big and you can just feel so alone. And that's like one of the number one things that everybody is seeking in their life apparently is just to feel less alone. And so, yeah, that connection that like connection. you understand me, yes. like there's that just deep like acceptance, right? That I have shown somebody if you're if you're in a strong relationship where you can show them absolutely all of you right? Like you're good, you're bad, you're ugly and you're best and your worst. And they just accept you. Being seen mm -hmm. and not having to like hide any part of you. 
uh, I say fulfillment because I kind of bracket everything under the umbrella term of fulfillment. But yes, longer, longer version, everything that you said, love especially should have been my actual answer. <laughs> but, but love is, I don't want to say easy, but falling in love is easy. And it's because of that whole honeymoon phase fallacy where some relationships, some, some people are serial daters who will only be in relationships for three months at a time. Because once that, once the honeymoon wears off and you're real, like, it's the realization that you're with an actual person <laughs> instead of this shiny image you had of the person, then it screws up all the decisions you'd already made for what this person was going to behave like. Mm-hmm. All of the, okay, so they're going to do this for me and they're going to do this for me and we're going to do this and they're going to... Nope. That's, we're gonna, that's it's, it's all going to be looking at each other in sunset pictures on Instagram. Yes. Oh man. Social media mixed with Disney. What a combo. Social media screwed us all up. Oh my God. That's the next episode. Yes. It fucked us all. Next one is, am I open to multiple sexual relationships, romantic relationships or both? And I would also argue, am I open to a important person to me being allowed those multiple sexual or romantic relationships as well? Yes. Right. Cause like, I have never had any issue. Like I have always had that craving and that desire and especially being bisexual, the, like, I've always had a small piece of this because, and like, it's touched on the book too, that like, you know, men are okay with you sleeping with other women, but then like the second it comes to another man, Ooh, yeah, there's like a boundary put up there. Right. But, but the first step there is sleeping with other women because they can't see themselves in those shoes. And like, there's just this, you know, you can't do that. You don't have a vagina. And, <laughs> and, um, and then there's, yeah, different, like, should they be involved and all this stuff? But I've never had an issue being the one doing that. I've never felt any guilt, always feels great, but it's when it's the person I love doing it. It's like, Oh, now all of a sudden there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if your answer to this, like, do I want sexual relationships with other or romantic relationships with others? Or am I okay with my partner having it? If your answer is no, also okay. Analyze why and make sure that it's clearly defined and understood, especially in this day and age, because with polyamory becoming more accepted and with people using the term, well, we're only dating without that being a defined thing. Like, okay, then you can be falling into some pitfalls and that can turn a lot of people off of poly because if you think that's all it is, I can see why you'd be against that. I completely understand. So just also want to admit something to you. The whole thing where, like, if my girlfriend wanted to have a female partner, it doesn't bother me. Versus if my girlfriend had a male partner, it's more of a, let's call it challenge or opportunity for growth if I want to be a boss. <laughs> um, I am totally that way. Yeah. It's super weird. My girlfriend. Every man. Every man. Yeah. My girlfriend could be with another woman and I could... Even if I, there's no expectation on my part to be like, oh, can I join? Like, even if that's never, if and if I know, like one of my partners, it I have been in the situation where one of my partners had been like, started to date a woman and I was in the other room and could hear them. And I just put earplugs in and didn't bother me in the least. Mm-hmm. But if it had been another man, I would never have welcomed. I never would have allowed that. No. Not in the same house, obviously. No. Like if it's, that's if you're a, going to his place, that's different. That's but, a clear boundary to me. Like, I mean, but obviously it wouldn't be to everybody. I mean, that would have to be discussed. But like in the same house, being able to hear it. Oh God, no. Yes, but Ooh. oh, I don't know why. Okay. I know why, because I, I think it's sexism. Like I need you to tell me that it's not well, because for personally, I think it's just because I'm sexist. It like, could be. You can bang as many women as you want. Cool. Go for it. Have fun. I think though, it's ultimately like that you don't feel there's as much threat of being replaced. I think threat right? is the key here. Threat. And it's, 
and I, I don't, it's that you don't see yourself as them. It's like how, if there's a female protagonist in a story, apparently it's very uncommon or it's less common for men to be able to identify with that female protagonist. Mm. Same as, but with women, when there's a male protagonist, we're able to identify with them potentially because we've been forced to for so long. Right. And because have no, no other option, no other option. And we want to identify with these stories and with these heroes. Uh, but that is a proven fact. And that is why for so long, the protagonists were mostly male because they wanted to reach everybody. And they were like, well, women are willing to accept this, but since men aren't like whatever, we're going to go for the widest audience, but that's the question audience. of like the chicken or the egg, like which came first kind of thing. Exactly. And now, of course, once they've embraced that and there's so many more female protagonists and stories about women and stories that are all women and men are accepting that and men are yeah, watching Ripley. it. And exactly, <laughs> Cora, you know, like just Cora. all this. Yes, Cora. But I think that's part of it. Just a it, quick shout out to Legend of Cora seasons one and three only. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I missed the uh, LGBTQ moment at the end. I didn't see it. Somebody had to point it out years later. That's such a Dumbledore um, saying after the fact, like, come on, just own it. Your fans wanted nothing where you gave us a powerful woman of color. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. In call. any other situation, there would have been a kiss at the end. And for <gasps> anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, essentially, <laughs> go watch Legend of Korra. It's amazing. It's the follow-up to Avatar. A whole bunch of new stuff is coming out. It's wonderful. But essentially, there was like this like queer baiting moment at the end where these two women who have had this like a long buildup hold hands and like walk out into the distance together, essentially. Well, yeah, yeah. But instead of every other story where the end would be to kiss. Right. Every single other one, which there's issues with that too. And it's great when it's all of a sudden this like thing where it's like, oh my God, they didn't kiss at the end. They're so progressive. <laughs> that was not the argument. Come on. The end of Avatar, the last airbender. Yeah. One show ago, it had 12 year olds doing it. Mm -hmm. We're okay. We can move. We can see this. Right. The ending was a <sighs> kiss between two 12 year olds. And now it's like, these guys are teenagers and we're not going to make them kiss because they're two females. But to be fair, at the end of the series. anyway, sorry. To, be, to be fair though, the reason behind that was that again, they're, audiences weren't used to a female protagonist. So they had a key spot on television. They were showing to a younger audience and they had a female protagonist. And that was very rare for that time. And that was very new and very testing, right? Like they were pushing the boundaries, having a, a female and a female of color, like a whole bunch of stuff as that protagonist. And so they did what they could. So, so hard. Never mind. No, Never they, mind. they did do what they could. Anyways, that was a long tangent. But yes, it was. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> show. Um, but yes, essentially evaluate both those questions right oh, yeah. like if you're okay with it if you're okay with your partner being okay with it and a no on either side does not mean that you're not it doesn't mean that you're bad it doesn't mean that you're wrong about anything it means that this is whether culturally or inherently informed mm -hmm. this is a barrier for you and explore why right and, and i think it's it's important to differentiate between the culture and whether it's true for you right and that's where i struggle a lot is like is this culturally informed in which case I want to debunk it and take that away from my life, that barrier, or is this just inherent part of me? Mm -hmm. And should I just accept it and live that way? Yeah, absolutely. And the third and final point of question four is if I want more than one lover, what degree of closeness and intimacy do I expect? And what do I offer? Now that is a very, very, very difficult one because that is going to be informed by the person. Mm -hmm. sometimes you have connections that are purely and only sexual sometimes you have connections that are more friendship like we, we like yeah i'm in a poly relationship and you know i'm seeing this woman named dania but we don't really have sex that often we just 
we just hang out. We have a really deep emotional connection. So is it a romantic thing? I guess, but it doesn't really have to be viewed through that lens. So this quest, this part of it is going to be huge asterisks. It depends on, yeah. on the individual, that whole thing of a human beings are the most complicated creatures. I actually, I, I always have a different feeling depending on the person, whether or not I'm like, oh, I could definitely do poly with this person. Cause it really depends on the person for me. Like some people I'm like, I could never do poly with them, which ultimately means that I don't trust them. Mm. Right. That's really what that's telling me is that there is something that I inherently don't feel comfortable, don't trust, don't feel like they would hold to my boundaries. Right. Or you have like too much of a fluffy, like, oh my God, we're in a relationship that like you're just not going to be okay with them, with other people, I guess. I don't know. Yes. It's a difficult one. It is a difficult one because relationships are hard. <laughs> and, and the understatement of interpersonal. the. <laughs> yeah. Relationships are hard. That's the new title of this episode. Yes, hot take. Uh, yeah. Relationships are hard, messy, complicated, and one of the most rewarding things you will ever do in your life. Yep. Just. And one of the best parts of being alive. One of the best parts of being alive. Connection. And one of the things that I would love to do uh, just in my own personal journey through life is change the word relationship. Because when you say relationship, you mean boyfriend, girlfriend. You mean husband, wife. Relation, like you and I have a relationship. Friends. Mm. That's a relationship. Well, that's relationship anarchy. Oh, dear. <laughs> and actually, it's, it's been mentioned before. Um, a friend of mine who was on the podcast earlier, mm-hmm. shout out to episode five. Um, <laughs> they, they spoke uh, briefly about uh, relationship anarchy, which was the first mention I had heard of it. Uh, and then it was mentioned in this book, which was really surprising to me. And that essentially, it's that every relationship in your life, you can hold them kind of in equal importance, right? And they're kind of like all on their different platters. And you also think about how much we put onto one relationship. Like, all right, you're the person I love. You're also going to be- My best the, friend. My best friend. The only person I have sex with. My therapist. My therapist. <laughs> my uh, roommate. My, like the father of my children. Uh, the person chef. I have a dog with. Dog <laughs> with. My personal chef. Like just everything. And you're like, this is all going to go on one person. That's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think about it objectively, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Unless it works for you. Unless it does, yes. Yeah, my gosh. Because some people just are content with two people, but like that's a lot of expectation and a lot of roles to put on one person. So the idea of relationship anarchy is that you get to pick who you do those things with, right? So it's like, oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a co-dog, co, I don't know. You're going to co-parent a dog with your best friend. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's a relationship. That's one of those things that you're going to give to that relationship. And you give the same amount of like effort and cause think about how much effort you spend on a rel- romantic relationship. Oh Almost God. none. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is like- a daily. Okay. Here's a great point. Actually in a polyamorous relationship, one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten is it is nearly daily. It is. It's weekly, if not daily check-ins, hmm. always talking through it. And sometimes, like, okay, well, this thing has, I've noticed this. I felt this always start from, I feel, or I would like to address and then sometimes it's like, how are we doing? Great. Cool. Want to watch, watch Netflix or whatever? Like sometimes it's going to be not, you don't even need to check in, but it's always important to find out if you need to. So there's a lot of communication, a lot of talking about it. And you, you get so good at discussing boundaries, discussing where, you're, where you are at in life. And it's really, really cool. I didn't expect that as much as I started through the whole poly journey, but you talk a lot and it's great. 
and yeah. you learn about this, you learn about this person yeah. in such a profound way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, sometimes it can feel really time consuming though. And so like, okay, also this, these, this would be probably one of the first arguments. Oh my God, I'd barely have time for one relationship. How am I going to have time for two? Mm-hmm. So like, how do you feel about that kind of mentality? Mentality. It is a def, it's definitely an important one. However, I would, I would push it forward to the um, logical extreme where if I didn't even have time for one relationship, what would I do? And I have felt like that at times, like, especially with my job, I work in film, you know, shout out to Vancouver. Um, and sometimes I feel like this is the whole thing. I was like, it, this is the whole thing again, where people will say the famous line, you don't, you never make time for me. Or I feel like you don't have time for me. And sometimes you're right. I don't. Mm. And it's trying to make time for a person. And it's trying to make time for a person to feel like taking time to make a person feel special. Take it, taking time to make a person feel like they are valid and important and worthwhile in your life is very important. If you genuinely do not have time to maintain two relationships, maybe one of your relationships is a friends with benefits kind of thing. I mean, I held... I don't even know if I want to call it a poly relationship because for two years, it was just this friend with benefits and she was an excellent friend. And we always only referred to our relationships as friend. And sometimes we would have fantastic sex. And sometimes we wouldn't see each other for two weeks. And we never had that expectation put on each other. That's not to say that a relationship with expectation is bad because sometimes a lot of the times it's really nice. Because a relationship expectation goes both ways. Right. And then somebody's there for you. And yeah. Somebody's there for you. Yes. So if you're with a person and you feel like you don't have enough time to see them, living with them is a really quick solution to that. <laughs> I know that I'm not saying that, you know, oh, this is a quick fix, but it is a way to see them more often. It's also a way to see them too often. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and, then- and if you ever fall into that part of a relationship where you're seeing a person too often and you feel like you don't have enough time to yourself, even if you're the kind of person who thinks you don't need time to yourself, it's important to take that step back. Be honest and say, you know what? I do need time for me. Vocalize and say, listen, I feel like I need more time for myself. It's nothing wrong with you or our relationship. It is just something that I would like to treat as more important. And I want to take steps to make this better for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And like what you're demonstrating is, you know, direct communication, right? And they, again, the language that they use was so helpful to be like, yes, I've seen this. Yes, I've done this sometimes. That's what that is. That's thank you for the words. So like passive communication Mm. being the opposite of direct communication that like passive is like, oh my gosh, like there was, there's, there was an example where this woman who grew up in a different cultural the cookie situation. One. Yes. The cookie one. Right. Yes. So in um, like British culture, for example, it's often sometimes expected that you do this passive communication thing where you don't actually say what you want. And if you say what you want, you're being rude and you're being just like and assertive, assertive and like, and just, just awful in general. Right. And nobody can do it. And everybody has to save face if something happens. And so for example, the last cookie, right. And you have to ask like, oh, does anybody want that cookie? But what you're actually trying to say is, bitch, I want that cookie. And like, you can't come out and say that. And somebody else who doesn't know this, like weird, sorry, not weird, 
not judging, doesn't <laughs> know this communication style of a particular culture of a particular culture wouldn't understand that they can't just be like, Oh yeah, I totally want it. What they're saying is dibs, this is mine, but I'm going to not act like I want it. But exactly. It it. is hyper politeness, which comes from many centuries of we own the world. What's left. Let's refine culture to an extreme degree. Not a bad thing. England. I love you. Yeah. But also not helpful. And not a good way to go. Like, cause think about it in terms of like, we've all heard this trope too of, oh, like, do you kind of want to, like, are you interested in getting Thai food tonight? Like, Mm -hmm. right. But like, what you're actually trying to say is I would like Thai food. Mm -hmm. Would you like to come get Thai food with me? And again, dinner, not a big deal, but think about it in a bigger context. Yes. The classic most boyfriends have experienced. It's pretty cold in here. The guys are like, you're right. And then she's just like, so you just not care about me anymore? Whoa, exactly. And so then it's like this, like you attribute like this unsaid thing. Like, no, that that wasn't said. Don't put stuff in the sentence that wasn't said. Did they say it? No, then don't put it there. It wasn't there. It's a tough one because we have to, as much as throughout this entire thing, we've been talking about your style is your style. And if it works for you, it works for you. I am going to fall on one side or the other here. Mm. And it's especially difficult because it does have an element of, you know, masculine identity in this culture because men are taught from a very young age, direct communication. Mm. And it is sort of a thing in our culture where men are taught one thing, women are taught another, whereas women communicate more passively. And I don't want to be making broad generalizations, statements like that, but it just seems to be an overall trend that is because of the way women are taught and where men are told to be more direct you know, yes. it's, it's the manlier way, you know, you talk about the, the direct action. And I am going to say that being direct in communication is better. Oh, absolutely. Not to say that, you know, men are better in society, but direct communication is just, I, I, I just think it's better. And you should, oh shit, I should. Dread, <laughs> no, <it> should. <laughs> the dreaded should. Direct communication is good. And I would highly encourage make, taking steps towards allowing yourself that space to be direct. Mm-hmm. Speak up for what you want. Yes. And Take the last cookie, damn you. We were, yes. And I, and I guess I didn't actually think about that when I was reading it. I was just like, yes, of course, be direct. You need to be direct. Like, because, and what the book is saying, yeah, too, is like, there's, what they're trying to do is give you common things that have gone wrong and be like, okay, like, yes, there's so many different ways to do this, but like, we've seen this fail time and time again. There's no right way to do this, but there's pretty clear wrong way to do this, right? And the direct communication is just such an essential essential part of that. And it does say that like, yeah, like if you're trying to be polyamorous and you do recognize that you're a passive communicator, just maybe do these things and try to learn how to be a direct communicator because it might not go so well. Mm -hmm. Especially because the unsaid thing can be a limit or a barrier that you didn't even realize was as important to you until it came up as a jealousy thing. And then it has been this unspoken thing for so long and you feel almost uncomfortable speaking it out because we've gone this far, but yeah, uh, I fall on the side of direct communication. Yes. (laughs) And so for those of you, um, I'm looking up on my notes of the book in terms of, do you directly communicate? All right. So directly communicating, saying plainly what you think and what you need. But okay, then there's the larger picture of you need to know what you want, which is ultimately the hardest part of all of this. 
right? So directly communicate what you feel. What you feel, yes. And then maybe try to go a couple layers deeper and be like, nice. um, and try to figure out what you want or what you need based on how you feel. But those two are not the same thing, right? Like you feel jealousy. What you need is for them to show you how they care for you, right? Especially in certain situations. These things always trigger my jealousy. It would be great if you could show me how much I mean to you in these situations, but then leave that open-ended for them to decide how they show you that emotion, Absolutely. Don't be like, you need to come do this. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. This is what I need, but it's up to you to give me that in whatever way feels best to you. Other things on this list, um, no hidden intent, um, which yeah, say what you say what you need um, and declarative statements, not questions. Like, like I need this, not like, don't, don't beat around the bush, just say it again, direct mm -hmm. um, and using plain language, right? Cause you know, there's one thing doesn't mean the other, like a relationship, that word is loaded. So is the word commitment. So is the word sex. Sex doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Right. And that was another thing that was said in the book, like, is making out sex. To most people, okay, that's the kind of an extreme example. Let's go with oral sex. Hmm. Is it blowjob sex? Some people will say yes, some people will say no. Unless it's the, unless it's like, you know, penetrative sex, then it's not really sex. And that's... Which is really, really often offensive to people on the LGBTQ scale. I know. Because... There's no such thing as penetrative sex between two women. So does that mean we don't ever get to have sex? Mm -hmm. Nope, that is false. And so then you need to come up with a different, different definition. Yes. And then it's um, sex. Oh, but it was devoid completely of romantic, romantic, you know, attachment. Or it was, it was completely unemotional. It was just this raw, like mechanical animal thing. Is that better or worse? And another thing is really great thing to do, especially when it comes to communication, and as long as we're talking about passive and direct communication, is when you're in direct communication, think of a scenario that would be uncomfortable for you and talk about it. Mm. Think of like, oh, okay, well, I think it would be a triggering em emotional state for me if I were to see you making out with someone while he was fondling you in public. Mm. And you know what? It's right that okay that would make me jealous analyze why discuss it between the two of you and if it comes to a thing like oh yeah well let's have the broader conversation about public displays of affection yeah then. i mean right it's like it, it opens up so many cans of worms but like that are all so worth talking about worth. and yes and but it, it just takes two people who are willing to spend that time on it right and yeah the whole like i don't have time for it right now like that gets kind of tricky too that like you know your life doesn't have that much time for it, but you want to keep the relationship. And so you just need to both agree to put it kind of on the back burner for a bit, but then you can't have those polyamorous conversations that you need to, because uh, otherwise things aren't healthy. And yeah, there's ugh, so many balances there. Yes. The next question <laughs> is about transparency is how important is transparency to me? And that one is a very interesting question because to me, Transparency is sort of just another word for honesty. Mm -hmm. And my hard and fast policy is constant honesty. If a partner of mine asks me anything, provided that I am respecting the boundaries of another person, I will answer honestly. Yes, I completely agree. Honesty is like one of the pillars of my beliefs. And like, I just honesty, honesty, honesty. And like the whole like, oh, I don't want to hurt you. And so I wasn't honest with you. No, that's so much more painful. <sighs> so much more painful. Yeah. But 
the book touches on a very important part about honesty in that it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Right. And you you think it would be obvious. Yeah. Like you think it would be obvious, but like this one was like, Oh, right. Like, cause to me, this is honest, but to somebody else, like I left something out. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, thought I told you all the things about this encounter with this person, but to you, this was a very important detail that was a lie by omission. Like, let's say to them, it was very important to know, to use a ridiculous example, that you kissed exactly five times, right? But in your description, you were like, ah, we kissed a couple of times, right? And to them, that's like a huge lie and that's dishonest. And maybe you just know that number because for some reason that was important to them. And it doesn't really matter why, it just was. And so now you're lying and that's not honest and it comes out sometime later and right. And like, again, a little example, but like, what is honesty? Yeah. And here's another very sticky one um, that kind of has come up with one of my previous partners. So let's say that I was at a party and a couple of our friends were there, but I was there with a paramour. So did you make out with her? Well, of course I did, you know, yes. But if I left out, in front of our friends, that might be something that would be a barrier for her. That might be something that would be a struggle and a challenge for her because now she feels as though she's being, she's being taken advantage of, or she feels like others might think that's what's happening to her. Yes. Yeah. So this is just another example. I mean, that's this whole conversation on its own. Like how do we behave towards paramours around our friend group? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a discussion to be had. And again, it's an individual thing. If your friend group, you know that they're not comfortable with Polly, then maybe public displays of affection aren't for you. Maybe those friends aren't for you. Maybe those friends, I mean, I don't want to be too uh, dismissive of people who are strictly monogamous, but they've got their own path. No, but it's more the acceptance, right? The acceptance level is a good point. It doesn't matter what you do for you. It's accepting other people. And what they do for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I like to say that monogamy to polyamory is a scale, just like the LGBTQ scale or a spectrum. Spectrum is a better way to put it that, you know, it goes to zero from a hundred and you're somewhere on that scale. And there are people who are at the exact end of all those scales, right? There are people who are like, I am right. dead straight. And there is nothing curvy about me. They're not curvy, but you know what I mean? Like you know, there's, oh my gosh, my favorite term is uh, noodle lesbians or noodle girls, noodle girls. They're straight until they get wet. Nice. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but, oh God, that's a good one. Um, but you know, that's, that would mean that you are not hundred percent straight. Right. Right. You are somewhere on that spectrum because you get a little bit experimental when you get wet. Sure. Great. Mm-hmm. Do it. But uh, admit that you're on the spectrum. Yeah. Acknowledging the spectrum is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, I don't think it's an answer of all or nothing for most people. Right. Like they talk about really complex relationship structures in the book about like, you know, having four people who all have like equal relationships with each other. And I'm like, Oh, good Lord. That yeah. sounds awful. Some of them live in the house. Some of them don't. Some of them are like, Oh God. Like, wow. dude. Also that was, that would be like a really complex structure to like build up to. Mm-hmm. And just, that just sounds like near constant communication with everybody was just, Again, great, but also, oh my God. Well, yeah, great because it's most of the time it's just going to be the quick check-in. Is everything okay? Yes, good. And as long as you are trusting your partners to be honest with you when that question comes up, you're good. Direct communication. Yeah. Believe what they're telling you. Believe it. Yes, definitely. I think that's all the questions for chapter one. No, we got two more. Oh, wow. I know. How... (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll just go through all the questions. Maybe. Oh, chapter one, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So how do I define commitment? Mm, is that even a question worth answering? Oh, I think so. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Oh, you're being sarcastic. Yeah. How do I define commitment? <laughs> yes. One of those words that's like, everybody thinks it's the same thing. It is not the same thing. Right. Definitely. And this is one of those ones where it's like, we're both committed and you both think you're being honest, but your definitions mm-hmm. don't match up. All of a sudden it's like, oh no, we were both lying to you each said other. You were committed because again, for a monogamous person, what they, what they mean when they say committed is only one. Mm-hmm. And some people don't believe that committed can involve more than two. Ooh, title of the book. Just snuck that right, snuck in. right in there. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, no. And people would like fight back on that because they're challenged in their beliefs and what they've been taught to believe and what they see in the world. And yeah, but you can like committed is just that you made a promise and you're keeping it really. Yeah. That's a very simplistic version of a commitment is a promise. Right. A lot of the time, the promise is never explicitly stated, mm. too. And there are a Which number of pitfalls a, with that. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. I mean, and that was the, uh, one of the, uh, also one of the ideas of marriage. That's what vows were supposed to be. That's what the whole thing was. Commit. It was a commitment before a deity. And it was supposed to be. I'm sorry. Can you imagine? Okay. <laughs> can you imagine just being like, okay, let's admit to everybody we know that we're going to relate to each other in this way for the rest of our lives. Especially what? in like, yeah, you're probably around 16. And, uh, although you probably only live till 35. So yeah. <laughs> you have half your life. Okay. Dark, but you know, yeah, it's dark, it's, but true. Dark, but true. Unless you're like queen or something, then you'll probably live pretty long with the most recent medical advancements. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that idea of just like, I'm going to say these vows to like this one person and they're going to be true for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Dude, no, like let's even just like, like, it's not that I don't believe in marriage. I totally do, but you can re-up those vows, right? Like you can make new promises to each other as your relationship grows, as you change with it, as you change, not with it, you got to make new promises, Mm -hmm. new commitments, re-examine old commitments. That's another thing that a commitment should not be considered a sacred bond that must exist for eternity, Mm -hmm. which goes into it, which definitely ties into the idea of the old world's thinking on marriage, but I have made a commitment to a person and it's not open to renegotiation is kind of a, an enforced relationship at that point. Right. Yeah. Commitments can change. Which is like such a foundation of so many marriages in some way. Wow. We really sound like we just like, don't like. Don't need to be dumping on marriage so much. We We promise. (laughs) I like, I honestly, like I do value marriage and I think it's, it is one way to commit to somebody in a really strong way. Right. And say that like, no matter what, there is this level of commitment that's always going to be there. I'm not the biggest fan of marriage, frankly, especially in terms of modern context, especially where we have come as a society and how marriage what it started out as because of course i'm not a hugely religious person no but i think it's the government contract thing it's a government contract thing it's also like it's just very useful so it's a very useful tool if you want to like move around with your partner if you want all the rights that comes from being family with mm-hmm. your partner right it's a way to tax like, exempt status yeah right i <laughs> wish <laughs> a way to get some uh, medical benefits but it's it's a way to show the world how important somebody is to you it's a way to for all intents and purposes, actually become their family. And 
there is something beautiful about it, right? Like the ceremony can be really beautiful and the, like, it's just a great party to be able to celebrate your love, which is always wonderful. And like, there's all, there's different like forms of it. Like you don't have to have a priest and everything. You can just have like a commitment ceremony, but like it ultimately is still a very good and like tons of poly people do it. Right. And it doesn't have to be the person that, Oh, the most interesting story to me that I read was about like a couple that, sex had had been part of their relationship and then it wasn't anymore and then it was after that happened it was like a year and a half later that then they then decided to get married because they wanted to prove their commitment to one another or not prove but like this was a sign of their commitment to one another even though sex was now not part of their relationship Mm -hmm. so they like entered into it knowing that this was not something that was going to be a piece of their marriage but the other person was so valuable to them and that support and that relationship was still so key that they wanted to like solidify that bond in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that kind of is talked about in the book later is that polyamory is pretty good for asexual people because that's just not something that they're going to be able to offer people, especially because for a lot of people, it's very important to a relationship, not the most important, but one of the questions that I have heard in this discussion is how important is sex to you in a relationship personally very important yes but it obviously it's not the only thing obviously it's not the most important the most important i would say is respect understanding communication love all those things mm-hmm. and sex top five doesn't say top five. but for an asexual person a person who just does not have those feelings they should never feel like they're you know have to force themselves to fit into a slot that isn't for them and having the opportunity of like, okay, I'm in love with my partner. They love me, but e- and even though I don't want to have this sexual thing with them, they're free to explore it on their own, provided they're, you know, safe with my feelings and all these things. It's right. I didn't even think of that until the book brought it up to me. Oh, I totally thought of that. Yeah. Cause like that, that comes up with me a lot in terms of like, I tend to have a higher sex drive than most of all the men I've ever been with. Mm-hmm. Um, Get and, it. And that's not to say anything bad about them or like, oh, I'm the best. No, no, no. Like, it's just a fact. And it doesn't show up right away. It usually shows up later down the line. Mm-hmm. And even just like think about how men have higher sex drives and are more sex, like everything around like 25 versus women tend to peak at like 40. That like your relationship is going to go through these seasons. And if it gets to a certain point, it's like, well, I need sex. Like that is a basic human need. And that's not a ridiculous thing to ask for or to state but you can't then coerce your partner into having sex with you because you shouldn't, you should, I'm going to say the word, the should word for this because you, you shouldn't, you should not. And that is, that is a very key place to use that word because yes. you shouldn't coerce anybody into anything they don't want to do, which good definition for that is if they can't say no comfortably, then they can't give consent. Absolutely. So if they, if you're like, I mean, you need to have sex with me. This is an obligation of our relationship. You, you said to, it in the vows. Right. Or like, <laughs> just, I like, there's an expectation here to have sex with me because I desire sex and they're not able to do that with you right now. That's just not something that they're like, whatever they're going through, they can't do it. Then what now? Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can't just be like, well, I'm going to break up with you if you don't. But at the same time, both your feelings are super valid. One person needs sex and one person doesn't. And so what do you do? Yeah, it is. Now I would caution people against turning to polyamory only because of that reason. Yes. Because it's the same thing as starting a relationship only because you want sex. 
you have to be ready to value a person and expect more of a person than just a physical body part. Like there's a human attached to that vagina. If that is your reason for wanting polyamory, I think you have a lot of self-analyzing to do, a lot of relationship analyzing to do. It's not necessarily a no, but you need to know there's more to it. Yes. And the really brilliant way they put it was to look at it more from your perspective of what do you offer instead of what you're getting from people. And yeah, that was one of the other main pillars of the book is like, people are people, people aren't things. People are people, people aren't things. Yeah, I guess they they said that much more eloquently, but like it's- No, it's perfect. They're not things. They're not some checklist. They're not like, I need sex. I'm going to go get sex from this person. I need this. I'm going to go get this from this person. Like it's, you can't, and then, you know, oh, in this relationship, I'm missing A, B, and C. I'm going to go get A and B from this person and C from this person. And that's what polyamory is serving. No. Mm-hmm. Like it, it can't be like that. It has to be that you're like, these are the things you offer, right? So I'm not seeking a person to give me a child. Mm-hmm. I am offering the opportunity to start a family. Mm-hmm. I am not seeking a person who wants to try BDSM. I am offering the desire to explore BDSM. And it's like, it can feel like the same thing, but I feel like it makes a very dramatic shift in your mindset. It's a, no, it's, it's very different. It is, it is polar opposite to where it started from. I would think, I would say it's a very different thing. And it's also a healthier way to look at it. Cause if you're only thinking about what you're getting from a relationship instead of what you're willing to put into and share in a relationship, then you're kind of starting from a fallacy. Mm. I would always say that it's not something that you're giving or something that you're getting. It has to be something that you're sharing with a person who isn't a thing. I like that. Who isn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> just to <just laughs> see that at the end. Just, just isn't a thing. <laughs> no, I love that. That's really beautiful. And let's do the final question. If I am already in a relationship, does my, do- my desire for others come from dissatisfaction or unhappiness with my current relationship? Exactly what we were just talking about. So important. <laughs> yes. We, were, we literally just answered this. I love it. Yes. And if I were in a relationship that met my needs, would I still want multiple partners? Great way of putting the question because also, yes, mm-hmm. you're not in a relationship to meet needs. You're in a relationship to experience life with someone else. Yes. Unless, of course, you're talking about the broader, grander sociological sense. Like I, you know, want and need to have a relationship with another human being to, to come, you know, address my mental health. Yes, absolutely. We all need human connection. We all have that need. That's okay. Yes. That is not treating a person like a thing. Yes. But I mean, there is so much self-worth tied up in relationships these days, right? Or just like, <sighs> I feel like that's all I've been taught is that like, you're not worth anything if you're not in a relationship. We've and inherited that. We've, we've inherited that. And like, no matter how much you try to separate yourself from it, it's always there. It's, oh my gosh, I'm worth less because I'm not in a relationship. Hmm. And that still follows me around like a ghost. Wild. Yeah, it's not great. And I'm aware thing. of it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's, it's really helpful for unweaving these narratives when you at least recognize it. Another narrative that I think is super important, I, I wish I had a better segue for this, but when it, when it comes to sex, and I know that you have a very sex-positive podcast, and I love that, one of the hu- biggest social narratives that we have to detangle is the idea that sex devalues a person, particularly women. Mm-hmm. This is the abstinence only training where, whereas if abstinence only is what you want 
to do, go for it. Fill your boots or don't. You cannot think of a person as having a specific amount of value that goes away if they have done the hokey pokey with someone. Like, for God's sake, it's just so, it's it's pretty toxic. It's so toxic. Like, I still remember one of my past relationships, he had this notion in his head. We were very young, so it's excusable, whatever. But he had this narrative in his head that we had both had sex with only one person before entering into this one. Or no, sorry, it was two. Each of us had had sex with two people and before this one started. And during our relationship, not getting into the details of what happened or what consent or what non-consent was there, but I had sex with someone else. And this brought up, interestingly enough, the feeling of, oh, now we're not equal because you've had sex with more people than me. He expressed that as one of the feelings that came up and shocked me beyond belief because it just felt so wrong to me. But to be fair, that was his valid emotion. And so we tried to address that, pass that. But like, damn, right? Wow. I'm very impressed and glad that he expressed it so honestly and that you guys worked through it as opposed to it just becoming this unspoken monster that killed your relationship. That's great. Mm, might have still killed our relationship, but there was many other reasons for that. And foot and mouth. Sweet. That's <laughs> all good. Yeah. But we did talk about it and he did okay. admit to it. It's good. Which was good. Yeah. But yeah, no. Oh my gosh. Value based on like, this person is great because, or like this person is valuable to me, or like you have to prove your value by having sex with them within a couple number of dates, because otherwise you're not worth anything and you're never going to have sex. And you're, oh my gosh, all of that shame on doing it or not doing it or how many people you've done it with or how you do it or whether or not you're able to make the man come or like, oh man, I was with somebody not terribly long ago that we were watching TV after having had sex and he looked at the person on the screen and the man had finished and he was like, oh, do you want me to keep going? Do you want me to go down on you? And she was like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Which bad non-direct communication because obviously it was probably a yes. Right. But he was like, oh no, you never ask. You just like go do it. And like one, yes, you should ask, but two, you should try to get the honest answer. But also he had done the exact same thing like 20 minutes earlier. Wow. And I was like, how do you have this much dissociation in your mind? (laughs) That's just lack of self-awareness. Oh yeah. That was a bad one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I guess that's nothing to do with value with sex, but no, do not attach value to sex. Do not attach value to anything. Yeah. Okay, it's, wait, that's too broad. It is. Don't have don't <laughs> oh, value to anything. anything. That's why everyone, Buddhism, no. only option. You go into the hills today. <laughs> Put on a robe and meditate until you die. But even Buddhism, <laughs> interestingly enough. <laughs> well, so now that we've um, destroyed our momentum there to look at questions and decided that we feel like we covered a lot of it. Um, we definitely discussed... great first chapter. Yes, definitely great first chapter. No, I would say that was like the first seven chapters. But I think the the first chapter's questions, because they're all based around like, are you poly, are like really important to look at first and also wouldn't come up naturally in our conversations. Whereas all the other questions kind of like percolate out. And all the other questions are very specified. Yes. And we entered into those specificities just via the natural flow of our conversation, which is great. Yes. Yes. It has been very enjoyable. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I talked more than you, which I apologize. I just got so excited. I was like, oh, I want to tell these stories. But thank you for being my expert witness in polyamory. Damn right. (laughs) Always such a pleasure talking to you. And 
Before we go, is there anything you would like to plug? Anything you would like to tell people about? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? I am west.vandenberg on Instagram, where I'm not active. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but if you want to see some dope fire art. Feel free to follow me. <laughs> I mean, you're also an author. Yeah, I'm getting there. Um, maybe my next podcast I'll have published one of the 10 books. I've written 10 books. Oh, I just haven't published anything because I'm very lazy. Books are good. I don't know. DM me. We'll find out a way. So. <laughs> you want to talk to him more. He's there. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and came away with some valuable insights, the absolute best way you can show your support and appreciation is by sharing it with your friends or on social media. Your support is absolutely invaluable. To connect, find us on Instagram at Hell of a Hall or on TikTok at Reclaim Your Radiance. Or you can sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance, including local workshops, retreats, self-love courses, personal one-on-one coaching, and so much more. Head on over to the episode notes in the show description to find those links, and we hope to hear from you soon. All right, everyone, until next time, stay radiant. <laughs>